Last month, I attended a board meeting for Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, where I am a trustee. We were reminded that 20 years ago last month, we embraced a new vision at that seminary. A vision that our professors would be men and women who love God and believe the Bible to be the infallible Word of God. Where students would be committed to reaching this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that vision has absolutely revolutionized the campus at Southeastern. At that time, we had about 500 students. Today, we have 2,600 students preparing for ministry at Southeastern. You see, vision is important because it motivates us. That's true in sports. It is also true within the church. In fact, when Jesus established the church, he did so by sharing his vision. And he said that we are to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe whatever I have commanded you. That is the vision that the Lord has given to us. He has said, I want you to take the gospel into all the world that people might be saved. Now, he said that just to a handful of followers. Today, there are 1.8 billion Christians around the world And the fastest growing religion in the world today is Christianity. Now, when a vision is shared, then there has to be a response, a decision made. And that's where we are today. You see, we are pledging our budget today and next week. And the budget represents our vision for 2008. So we have to make a decision as to whether or not we are going to support it as to whether or not we are going to go forward with the vision. So today I want to share with you three questions. Take your Bibles, please. Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse number 25. One of my favorite stories in the Scripture, and I probably have preached as many sermons from this text as any other, because it is always intriguing to me. Numbers chapter 13, you recall that Israel came to the banks of the promised land and they sent in spies and the spies came back to give report. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, 
The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Well, as we look at these verses, there are three questions I want you to consider with me. The first being, where are we going as a church? You see, our budget is a reflection of our commitment. It is a reflection of our vision for 2008. So then we have to ask the question, does our budget adequately reflect our vision? Now, as I understand, and I know that there are many things the church is to do, but there are three primary responsibilities given to the church of the Lord Jesus. First of all, we are to worship God. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 23, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus has said to us that our primary responsibility as a church as a follower of Christ, is to worship Him. And He tells us how we are to worship. He said, first of all, we are to worship in spirit. And that speaks of the heart. You know what? Worship is not a matter of whether or not they sing the songs that I like or don't like. Worship is not a matter of what the agenda of the service is or the format of the service is, how the program is arranged. That's not what it is. It's an issue of the heart. Is my heart right before God? Do I love the Lord? It is an expression of my heart. So Jesus tells us that we are to worship Him. And He says, as you worship, you worship in spirit. It's a matter of the heart. And then He says, and in truth. And that speaks of the mind. Now, that's what our, our preaching and teaching ministry is. It is to look to the Word of God. So when Jesus gave us His vision, He said that the church is to worship Him. How are we to worship Him? In spirit, out of our hearts, and in truth, out of His Word. God doesn't value worship that is not rooted in His Word. And so the Bible then says that we are to worship Him. That is the responsibility of the church. And so then I have to ask the question, does our budget reflect that commitment? And I would say yes. I think that it does. Secondly, we are to evangelize. That's what the Great Commission says. Well, how are we doing in that? Well, to be honest with you, I think that we are doing good. We are growing in our commitment to world missions. I have seen that, our commitment to that, it is growing as time goes by. Where I think we are not doing as good is in our commitment to local missions, to reaching our community, our state, with the gospel of Christ. So, what I want to do is challenge you in three areas concerning that. First of all, that you pray, that you pray for lost people. That you pray for those people who do not know Jesus as Savior. I went to church with a man who was a Christian and his wife was not. He prayed for her salvation for 16 years. And I was in church that Sunday when she came forward committing her life to Jesus. Are you praying for someone? 
Is there someone you know, maybe a family member, someone you work with, someone you go to school with, is there someone you know for whom you are praying that they might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? So I'm asking you to pray. Let's, let's join together as the church at First Baptist Church and pray for those who are lost. Secondly, invite people. How long has it been since you've invited someone to church with you? There are some people here, I love to run into them on Sunday morning because every Sunday they're introducing me to someone they brought. And that thrills my heart because they, 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 they want people to come and so they invite people. Is there someone you should invite? I want to challenge you in them. And then witness. Tell someone what Jesus means to you. So, well, I, you know, I don't know that I can do that. I haven't been through all of these classes on how to do that. Let me tell you something. I didn't have to go through a class to tell people I love Linda. I just loved her. And the same thing is true with, 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 with Jesus, if we just love Jesus. Tell people what He's done in your life. Tell Him what He means to you, how He's blessed your life. How He's changed your life. So, I want to challenge you in those three areas because I think we're doing pretty good in our budget in one area, not so good in the other area. So, I'm going to ask you to really pray. Pray for people to be saved. Invite people to church with you next week. And witness. Tell someone what Jesus means to you. Thirdly is discipleship. So, we are to worship the Lord, we are to lead people to faith in Christ, and then we are to help them mature in the faith. That is discipleship. And, and I think that our budget does good there. I think that it reflects a commitment in that area. That's what I know Jerry and, and, uh, and the educational staff are doing. They are absolutely committed to building a Great, great Commission Sunday School so that uh, all of us can grow in our commitment to the Lord. All right. So... We look at our budget in terms of vision. Does it reflect our, our vision? But understanding that when we have the vision of God and we are committed to His vision, there is going to be opposition. Now, I look at Israel. They had a vision of the promised land, but there was opposition. You'll notice in verse number 28, Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. Now, we have gone in the land to check it out, but there are some strong people there. And then in verse number 33, there also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So he says that not only are the people over there big, they are strong and big. So we had opposition. It was difficult. Their vision was going to be difficult. Look at verse number 31. The men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people. They're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are, are men of great size. Folks, just because we have the vision of God does not mean that it is going to be easy. And Israel had the vision of God, the promised land. But they said there are giants over there, and they are strong. There is opposition over there. It's going to be difficult. You know, we come to the budget every year. We do this. We come to the budget. It's time to pledge it. It's not easy. It's not easy for you. It's not easy for us. There's always opposition. And a part of the opposition is unbelief. Now, the truth is, there are some people who just don't believe what we're doing is that important. I mean, it's not priority because it's just not that important. It's really not that important for some that we do everything we can to reach our community and our world with the gospel of Christ. 
So there's unbelief that makes it difficult. And there's complacency. We just become complacent and we'd rather celebrate yesterday and the good old days, which probably never were anyway. But we'd rather celebrate the good old days rather than to make a commitment today to reach our world with the gospel of Christ. So what do we expect? Well, the spies came back and they said in verse number 27, it's just like God said. It really is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. They had God's promise concerning the land. In Exodus chapter 3, verse number 8, So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So then they had every reason to expect to occupy the land. They had the promise of God. It was all that God had said that it was. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. So they should expect to occupy the land. Well, what about First Baptist Church? What can we expect? There's a verse of Scripture that is very meaningful to me, and I call on a lot. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6. Paul wrote, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, God began His work here at First Baptist Church in 1809, nearly 200 years ago. I believe He's going to fulfill it. That's the promise of God. That's what Philippians chapter 1 said. God began the work. God will fulfill the work. If we trust Him, He will fulfill So, where are we going? First question, where are we going? Folks, we are going to be a church that worships God. In spirit and in truth. That's what we're going to do. We're going to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We are going to be a church that is committed to reaching people with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ here and around the world. And we are going to disciple them so that they grow in their walk with Him. Well, what do we believe? What we believe is an important question because that determines the depth of one's commitment. And one of the things that I notice here is that when one believes, one has faith that always focuses on the future. Now look at verse number 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. Now that was Caleb. You remember that Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report from the land. And then Caleb is standing forth and said, no, we should go and take it. Now, did you notice that that was corporate? We, plural, we, all of us. Folks, all of us should worship the Lord. All of us should evangelize. All of us should be sharing what Jesus means to us. And we should be maturing people in the faith. All of us should be giving. All of us should be pledging. It is not exclusive. It is for all of us. All of us as a family, we join together. We, and then he said, by all means. We use every means available to share the good news of Jesus. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9:22. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. It thrills my heart when I, and I guess it's one of the things I really enjoy about our church, 
that it is a church committed to using every means. And I see the choir, and they sing in the orchestra, and they play. And then I see these children up here, and they're singing. And then I see our students over there singing. All means, all means. Some of you have some means we haven't even thought of. But employ them to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. We should by all means take possession. What God has promised, we should receive. And that's all that Caleb is saying. God has promised us the land. Now, let's take it. He said, we are able to overcome. Why? Because he believed that his God was stronger than the giants in Canaan. Folks, let me ask you, do you have that attitude about God, that faith about God? David did. When David was going to fight Goliath, Saul and his brothers were a little skeptical of it. And they said, what do you know about fighting? You're just a shepherd boy. What in the world do you know about fighting? And David said, you know, God, God delivered the bear into my hand. He delivered the lion into my hand. And I'm confident that he'll deliver this, this uh, uncircumcised Philistine in my hand. He believed that God was bigger than the giant that he faced. One of the things that I notice is that when we are a people of faith, we are always looking forward. But when we lose that faith, we begin to look backwards in fear. And we look to the safety of the status quo. Look at chapter 14, verse number 2. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. You know what they did? I mean, they have been delivered from slavery, and now then they look back and said, You know, we would have been better off had we stayed in Egypt as slaves. There's comfort in the status quo, isn't there? We've talked about it quite a bit, Richard and I have, and the, uh, some members of the finance committee and I have, about when we make out the budget. I'm going to be candid with you. For the past several years, our budget has been a commitment to the status quo. Did you, I, I'm, just, I'm confessing. And the increase that has been in the budget has been inflationary, and that's all. We say, okay, you know, we're going to have an inflation factor in there. And so we look back to where we've been and increase it by that. And I'm a little convicted by that, to be honest, because what we're doing is, is trying to figure out what we can do and what we can do easily. And I'm a little convicted by it. And I confess that to you, and I'm a little bit tired of it. I don't, I, I, I'm not making any proposal other than what you have, but I'm just saying that maybe we need to look at things a little bit differently because I do not want to be committed to status quo ever. But there's comfort in status quo. And, and then we're a little concerned about the uncertainty of tomorrow in verse number 32. So they gave out to the sons a, a bad report of the land which they had spied out. They said, well, we're not sure about this now. Let's be careful here. We're not sure about that. Well, I'm not sure about tomorrow, are you? I mean, Harold, I watch the stock market going up and down like a seesaw. I don't know what the thing is doing. So you're trying to make out some financial plans, and you say, well, I'm not sure about it. Well, I'm not either. But here's the problem with it. When we get to that point and we become fearful, then we don't do anything. We don't look forward. We don't trust the Lord. So there's the uncertainty of tomorrow. But let me tell you something. 
That always brings about the guarantee of defeat. Now look at verse number 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. That attitude always guarantees defeat. When we pull back, when we say, well, we're just gonna, we're gonna be committed to the status quo, I'm not sure about tomorrow, and all of that, it always leads to defeat. You know why? You know why it does? First of all, because it ignores God's promise. What we really need to be asking is, God, what do you want us to do? And then go forward with this promise. It ignores the promise of God. Secondly, it ignores the provision of God. Had God provided for Israel up to this point? Now that's a question. Let's just, let's just do this together. Has God provided for them up to this point? Yes. Right? I mean, when they were in bondage to the Egyptian and God said He was going to release them, then He sent plagues to force their release. When they they came to the edge of the Red Sea and couldn't get across, God parted it so they could go across to the other side. When they needed food, God gave them food. When they needed water, God gave them water. Had He provided for them up until this point? But they ignored that. Yes, God has provided in the past. I'm not sure about tomorrow. Let me ask you a question. Has God provided for First Baptist Church these 200 years that we've been in existence? I look back and embarrassed. Has God provided financially? We've always paid our bills, haven't we? I mean, Bank of America hadn't come to repossess this thing. So we've... He's provided us with finances that we've needed. He's provided us with leaders, godly men and women who lead. So has God provided for us? Absolutely. So why do we hesitate? Because we forget about God's promise. We ignore God's provision in the past. And we forget about His presence with us. He's promised He'll never leave us. Well, let's get to the third question. How do we get there? Chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now, you understand that the Hebrews sent in spies, and there were two reports that came back, a majority report and a minority report. The majority report with ten of the spies coming back said, we can't go in, giants over there, and so forth. Joshua and Caleb, the minority report, they came back and said, God has given it to us. We can get there. Unfortunately, the Hebrews listened to the majority report. And then we see the result of having done so. Pulling back, becoming fearful, not going forward in faith. We see the result. They were discouraged. Chapter 14, verse number 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. You know why? Well, it's because their vision died. They were going to the promised land, and now they're not going. Their vision died. One of the saddest things I ever see is a church that's lost its vision. People who've lost their vision. 
So the Bible says they were discouraged. And then they became critical in verse number 2 of chapter 14. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You know what? Is this not true? When we lose our vision, we look for someone to blame and we become critical. It's what we always do. And that's what they did. Now, their vision has died, and so they begin to, to criticize. And then they begin to feel sorry for themselves. In verse number 2, the same thing. And, uh, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. We would just been better off had we died back there. And so as a result of not going forward with the Lord, they were defeated. They didn't enter. Chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, you can read that. I've got to hurry on, but you can read that. They didn't enter into the promised land. The only adults who entered in were Joshua and Caleb. The others did not. They had to go back to the wilderness. Chapter 14, verse number 25, God said, okay, you want to be in the wilderness? You can go back to the wilderness. Here's one of the things that strikes me is that they had divine opposition. Look at chapter 14, verse number 34. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days for every day you shall bear your guilty year, even 40 years, and you shall know my opposition. Isn't that amazing? God said, you're not going to go forward with me, then you're going to find me as an opponent. If you're not obedient to me, then I am going to be your opposition. I'm going to be your opponent. The doubters died, chapter 14, verse number 37. Even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. When we don't go forward in faith, trusting the Lord, there is a death. There are many of you who have been to the cathedrals and so forth in Europe, and you've seen those majestic buildings where at one time people gathered to worship, and today there's not a handful of people there. They died. And I can take you across the south where there are old First Baptist churches that did not go forward in faith, and they're empty today. They died. Doubt always kills. And Israel was defeated in chapter 14, verse number 43. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. Well, what gets us there? Folks, it is a wonderful adventure of faith. If we're going to get there, it is because we join hands with God in a marvelous adventure of faith. Determined to go forward. That's what we see in chapter 14, verse number 9. Don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. They shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And, and, and that's what I'm asking us to do. Let's all join together. Let's be a church that worships God with our heart, with our spirit, and in truth. Let's be a church that is absolutely committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with our world here and abroad. Let's be a church that is committed to discipleship. Let's all get together and pledge the budget. I'm going to say that one more time and I expect an amen. Let's all get together and pledge the budget. Let's do that together. I mean, just trusting the Lord, what He wants us to do. Reject negativism. They said, you know, we're like a bunch of grasshoppers in their sight, and we look like it to ourselves. You're not a grasshopper. You're a child of God. 
And God provides for His people. Forget about the negativism and focus on God. Folks, let me tell you something. If you look at an anthill long enough, it begins to look like a mountain. But if you look at a mountain while focused on God, it looks like an anthill. Let's trust the Lord. Israel came to the banks of the promised land, had to make a decision. We've come to the banks of faith, and we have to make a decision about our giving. Have courage. Just trust the Lord. What does God want you to do? Do what He tells you to do, and we'll be victorious. But you know when you talk about giving? Where we begin is by giving ourselves. There are a lot of you get scared to death whenever you know that the preacher's going to talk about money because you think he's trying to get my money. God doesn't want your money or mine. He wants us. And the money takes care of itself. There are some of you today who simply need to give your heart to the Lord, your, your life to the Lord to serve Him. That's what the invitation is today. Commit yourself to the Lord. Our gracious Father in God, thank you for the blessed privilege of knowing you, serving you. Thank you for the sacrifice you made on our behalf. And Lord, today I pray for those who need to be saved, that they would trust you. Father, I pray for those who should become a part of this church family, joining hands with us to worship God, to share Jesus, and to build up the saved. May they feel comfortable to come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to stand, sing a hymn of invitation as the choir sings. Your opportunity to say yes to God, to trust Him as Savior, to join the church. Our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. You come. I'll greet you as you do.